so blessed. Have a seat. Have a seat. Welcome to the Vine. Welcome if you're joining us online right now from wherever you are around the world. Uh, we are so glad that you are here, present with us in this place and in this moment. Um, and we're grateful for each one of you. Jump on the chat if you can, and Facebook particularly. Uh, and just let us know where you're from, what you're doing. Uh, well, hopefully what you're doing is joining us in the service, but you can tell us where you're from. That would be great. Um, and welcome to everyone in this room. So great to have you guys with us. Um, if you're new to the Vine, if this is a relatively new experience for you, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, maybe you've been invited here by a friend who's dragged you along. Uh, maybe you were supposed to go to the Baptist church next door, but you're here. That's great. Uh, we're so glad you are. Um, we're, uh, we're starting a new series today, a short little four-week punchy series called From the Heart. And uh, there was something that was on my heart as we came out of our A Different Spirit series, which was uh, a seven-week series we've just finished on Numbers 13 and 14. It's all online. You can jump on and take a look at that if you're new with us. But we just did this big series looking at what it is to carry a different spirit in Hong Kong in this season, in this hour, what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us as individuals, as church in the city today. Um, and, and that was great. And we got to the end of that, and I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just hear from some of the senior leaders in our church, those that have been leaders in the past, historically with us, uh, some of those that are leaders with us right in this moment, and ask them a simple question. What is on your heart for the vine in this moment, in this season? I, I, I said to each one of them, how would you bring expression to this idea of a different spirit? What, what do you think a different spirit means for the vine in this time and this hour? And so uh, this series really is just a series of people that are going to come and do that and bring their hearts. Um, you'll see here uh, the rundown. Uh, I'm going to speak to you guys today. Uh, we got Tony Reed uh, coming on the 27th of June, just after uh, World Refugee Day next Sunday. Then Tony will be with us, one of our founding pastors here. Uh, Sydney Yip, uh, chairman of our eldership, who's sitting over here uh, right Right now, uh, Sydney's going to come and bring a message uh, on the 4th of July, and then on the 11th of July, we'll finish with John, uh, John Snellgrove, one of our founding pastors as well. And, and I know that these men are going to bring something in their spirit for you, and I want to encourage you right at the start just to open yourself up, like we were just seeing. I am open. Uh, are we really open to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church? And I think over these weeks in this series, uh, we're going to hear a little bit about that. And, and I'm excited. I get to kick it off today and share with you a message um, that really has been formating and kind of bubbling away on my spirit for about a year now. Uh, and I've been wondering, when am I going to be able to bring it? When am I going to say it? When is the timing right? And I think this series is the perfect time for it. Um, it's a pastoral word for you. Uh, I hope it's an encouraging, inspiring uh, word, a challenging word perhaps, but something that I believe will help shape and, and grow your relationship with Jesus in this moment. Because we've been saying throughout the last sort of eight weeks, nine weeks that we've been reopened as a church, we've been saying that you know, we need, it's our time to lean in to what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives together, personally, as we see what God wants to do in our city. And I think this and what I want to share today is part of that process for you. Uh, let me start by just asking us a simple question. Uh, it's this, have you ever been frustrated that God doesn't seem to be moving fast enough in your life. Have you ever been frustrated by that? Like, it seems like God's on a different timetable to your timetable. Like, like God hasn't come through with that healing or that answered prayer, or He hasn't spoken to you as quickly as you think He should, or as quickly as would be right for you. Anyone felt that way? Have you ever felt like you're in Causeway Bay on a Saturday, and it's packed full of people, 
And like you're walking there and you're trying to get from A to B and you've got a destination to get to, but it's so packed, you can't move around much. And the person standing and walking right in front of you is the slowest walking person in Hong Kong. Have you ever experienced that? Like, and you know, you're just like, this is ridiculous. Why does this person have no purpose in life? Like, don't they have somewhere to go, something to do? And you want to just like slap them on the back of the head, you know, walk faster. You know, this is Causeway Bay, come on. We follow Jesus, don't we? And sometimes it feels a little bit like Jesus is in front of us and we want to kind of slap him on the back of the head. Like, come on, Jesus. It's time that you move a bit quicker. You know, we got a purpose here. We're doing something. You've spoken some dreams into my heart. You've, you've got a word for me. I, I know there are big things in my life that you want to do. And it seems like we're at a red light. What are you doing, Jesus? Israel, in their history with God, felt like this so many times. The Old Testament is filled with stories where Israel is wondering why God is so slow. There's a great moment right at the end of the Old Testament where Israel has been for 70 years in captivity, in exile in Babylon. 70 years beforehand, Babylon had stormed into Jerusalem, the holy sacred city. And they had destroyed the walls, pulled them down, rushed into the city and killed many of the Israelites there. And the significant thing they did was they destroyed the temple. They literally raised the temple down to the ground so that it was not a beautiful, glorious building anymore, but rubble on the ground. And this act threw the whole of Israel into an existential and theological crisis. Because Israel were like, well, hang on a sec. The temple was the house of God. It was the presence of God on earth. It was where God dwelt. And when he dwelt with us, that was where our comfort was, our security was, where our life was. The temple was the symbol to Israel that God was for them. And if God was for them, who can be against them? And yet, these Babylons, these Gentiles, these foreigners had come in and they had destroyed the house of God. And so whilst they're in exile in Babylon for 70 years, they're in this theological crisis and they're wondering, where are you, God? What have you done? Why have you gone away from us? Why have you given up on us? Many of the Psalms in the book of the Psalms were written during that 70-year process. That's why those Psalms are like, where are you, God? My enemies are against me, but I will trust in you. At the end of the 70 years, something amazing happens. Persia comes in and invades Babylon. And Persia by then is a big, huge empire, and they take over Babylon, and, and they basically discover that there's all these, all these Israelites that are there in exile, away from their home. And the Persians allow the Israelites to return back to Jerusalem. And they return back in three waves. The first wave is on the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel is given one task and one task only. He is told by God to go back with the first group of Israelites back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the temple. Begin to get the temple back up into its former glory. And you can understand why this is top of the list for Israel. Because they've realized that the destruction of that temple threw them into crisis. As they go back to Jerusalem, they want to establish the temple, establish God's presence, and get God to be active with them to get that place of safety and security. So Zerubbabel, with the first wave of Israelites, goes back to start the temple. A little bit later, the second wave comes in. And the second wave, you can imagine, are so excited to see the temple. They're excited because they were not the generation that saw the original temple. 
Seven years has passed and a lot of the people that laid eyes on the original temple have now died and passed away. But the new group who have heard about the glory and the beauty and the majesty of the temple in Jerusalem, they're so excited that they get back, they're going to expect to see this beautiful temple restored in Jerusalem. And the book of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, is there in those moments and Chapter 4, actually, of um, Zechariah captures for us this moment where they return and they cast their eyes on what they were expecting to be this finished product, this beautiful temple, but was actually still at that time only rubble. And here's what they say. This is from Zechariah 4. I'm reading in the Good News Translation. They are disappointed because so little progress is being made. Anyone here disappointed? Because it feels like for you so little progress is being made in your life or in your faith or in your relationship with God or in the things that you want in the city of Hong Kong. It feels like there's so little progress and you're frustrated and disappointed. Here's the Israelites. They come back and they only see rubble when they're expecting to see the grandness, the beauty and the bigness of the temple. And they're disappointed. They're frustrated. And they're beginning to wonder again, where is God in this? Because if God was in it, Surely there would be this glorious big temple. And we've got just rubble. I love this reaction from the Israelites because I think it peers a little bit into every human soul. Because here's the reality for us as humans. We love the finished product, but we're not so crazy about the unfinished process. Are you with me? Like, we love the idea of the finished product. We want things to be nicely finished and completed and established with a beautiful little bow on top. But we're not so excited about the hard work, the step-by-step, faithful little things that need to be done to get us from where we are right now to where we're going to go. No, we want God to wave his magic wand, instantaneously give us this temple. And when we show up and we realize there's still a long journey to go, we get disappointed because we think that God is never in the unfinished process. We think God is just in the glorious temple. When God so often moves more powerfully in the small things than in the dramatic and the big. In fact, God always goes from the small things to the big things because he wants to take you along with him. Because if God didn't do that, chances are you would be lost in the middle of everything that he is doing. But actually, when when we realize that God is with us in the small, step-by-step, daily faithfulness that we have that doesn't seem grand, doesn't seem big, feels like we're walking way slower than we should be. But that process is the way that God actually moves us from the small to the big, but doesn't lose us in between. It's like (laughs) if everything God ever did was the big finish, There would be no small changes in us. I mean, imagine with me for a moment, church, if God suddenly came through and did the grand and the big in your life. Imagine if all of the dreams that you're holding on your heart right now, all the things that you want, imagine if God did those instantaneously for you. Like instantly you were successful, instantly famous, instantly wealthy, instantly having the marriage that you longed for, instantly with the perfect body. Are you with me? 
Like imagine if God did the instantly, and we have this weird perception as Christians that we understand in the human life things take time, but with God, we think it needs to be instant. But you need to realize that if you have the instantaneous things of God, here's two things that are going to color your life, two things that are going to be a problem for you. Number one, God is going to become even more of a Santa Claus for you than he already is. He's going to be your little genie in that bottle that you can just rub, 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 rub every time and boom, he gives it to you. But the second thing is even more important than that. God understands that if he always did the instantaneous, always did the big thing in your life without taking you through the small things to get you there, he understands that if you got those big things, you would be incapable of holding on to them. Incapable of keeping a hold of that success incapable of actually holding on to that marriage that you had been longing and dreaming for. Incapable, when the first obstacles come, that to letting actually go of that thing because you haven't experienced the process of how God was forming a character and integrity and a strength of resolve and a steadfastness and a resolve in you to get you to the point where when the big happened, you could stand up with character, with integrity and hold on to the big things because the big things have big responsibility. And God, for some of you in your life, you're super frustrated at God because you expected to be further along. You are disappointed that there's just rubble and there's not a temple. And God is looking upon you and he's saying, do you want to know where my anointing is right now? It's actually in the small, almost imperceptible little things that I'm chipping away at, that I'm doing, that I'm processing in your life to get you to the point that when that great thing does happen, you're going to walk into it with flourishing in life and not be stripped away by all of it. It's fascinating to me that we want the big things from God, but we don't want God to start the small way. Are you with me? This week marked the one-year anniversary of me working out and eating healthy. One year. I turned COVID into the best year of my life. And I can stand before you today at 46. I just told you how old I was. We'll delete that later. I can stand before you today at 46 and say I'm in the best shape of my life. But I've got a long way to go. Don't let these incredible arms fool you. I've got a long, long way to go. But I know that I am able to lift weights today that would have been impossible for me to lift a year ago. In fact, if I had tried to lift those weights a year ago, I would have caused great injury to myself. Some of you want something for God so bad that if he gave it to you, it would actually cause you more injury than life. And that there actually is a process by which the daily, daily, for me, three times a week, faithfully with my workout trainer, to try to get some muscle, try to build some things, take it small. I mean, the weights, if you saw photos of the weights that I started with, you'd be like, that guy's such a dweeb. Even today, you might still think that. But today, I can lift weights way more than I've ever done before. Why? Because there's been a step-by-step -step faithfulness, and some of you are in the training ground, but you want to be at the finish line. Is this speaking to anyone? And, and I, and I want to unpack this idea by taking a look at the broader context to what I think uh, God is saying through Zechariah to Zerubbabel. Can you imagine how it would have felt for Zerubbabel? The second wave come back, and he's like, uh, here's the foundation stones. And everybody's like, where's the, where's the temple? And, and Zerubbabel's like, um, 
well, we've cleared a little ground and uh, there's a few rocks kind of in place. And God comes and speaks into Zerubbabel's spirit and I think he's going to speak into some of your spirits this morning. Let me read this to us from verse 6. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the cornerstone, the capstone, to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Let let me speak that over you and your spirit right now. Who despises the day of the small things? In fact, I think that's a word for us in our city right now. I want to declare that today is the day of small things over Hong Kong. Because I don't know about you, but I have big hopes and dreams for our city. There's some big things that we feel we need God to do in this time and in this hour of Hong Kong's important history. I mean, there's some big work to be done for the gospel. Still, something like 10% of people in in Hong Kong know Jesus. 90% of the people do not know him. We have a lot of work to do. There are some big dreams that should be sitting on our hearts, big things that are pulling us forward. I mean, believing that we're going to become a river and not just a house, believing we're going to see reconciliation and healing like we've never seen before, Uh, believing that Hong Kong can find a new identity and find itself being stabilized, maybe reconciliation taking place, whatever it might be. I mean, big things that only God can do. And the danger for us as the church in this city right now is that we are wanting the instantaneous big thing without the actual small, faithful, step-by-step day of small things that's going to get us from A to B in the way that we can and then hold on to be when it comes. You with me? And I feel like God is opening up this opportunity for us, this different spirit in us, that we would no longer despise the day of the small thing. And it's not just for the city, but it's also for you personally. It's for each one of you in this room. What is it that you're currently holding that you're really frustrated because it doesn't feel like God's coming through in that timing that you're hoping? What is the thing that's kind of sitting in your hands that doesn't seem like much when you had so much of a dream on your heart? I wonder how many of us in this room are wondering when God's going to show up, when God's going to complete it, when God's going to actually move. I think there's two times in life where we often ask that question. One is during travel and one is when we're cooking. Have you ever been like on a road trip with like some friends or like with your family or with kids, right? And you're driving around and what's the first question that comes as soon as you've left your house? Are we there yet? We literally just left the house, you know? Or maybe the Hong Kong version of this, like we're sitting on an airplane. Remember airplanes? They're the things that fly in the sky, right? (laughs) We're sitting on an airplane and we've got our kids next to us on the seat and we're heading to the UK, 11 hour, 12 hour flight and an hour one, the kids are like, are we there yet? Like we literally just left the airport one hour ago. We got 10 more of these hours until we get there, right? Or what about cooking? (laughs) I, uh, man, I work hard on Sundays. I just want you to know. My wife's not at this service. She was at the previous service, but I can really open it up today. <laughs> now that she's not at this service, but I work really hard. Four services, preach my gut out. I literally like get home, I open. Now, Sunday is the only day in the week 
when our amazing domestic helper, Lizelle's not with us, and we, you know, it's an awesome, bless her day off. We hate it, though, because we have to cook, right? Like, and, and Chris and I are, sorry, honey, really bad cooks. We're really bad cooks, right? So I've, I've just done this crazy day. I'm super tired. I literally like, open the front door. I collapse into the apartment, right? And there, our kitchen's right there in the front door. And I peer my head around, and there's Chris over the stove. And I'm like, is it ready yet? This is when we have a domestic discussion every Sunday. <laughs> and my wife will often say, I literally just put it on. You just walked in the house, right? Like, I'm put, go and wash your hands and have a shower and do whatever. Like, I'm just, or, or, or I'll say, like, is it ready yet? And she's like, yeah, it is, if you like it raw. <laughs> Would you like it raw? Because it's... And some of you in this room, that's the way you treat God. That's the way you have a relationship with God. You're, you're expecting God to always be instantaneous in your life. And you've been waiting maybe for a period of time. And you're coming into the house and you're going, God, is it ready yet? Because I'm ready. Is it ready yet? And God's saying, no, nah, yeah, it is ready. If you like it, roar. Like if you like it where it is right now. But if you want to be a sweet taste, if you want to be a delicacy, if you want to be the person that I'm forming and shaping in you, you're not quite ready yet to be released for what it is that I'm about to do. It will crush you, the weight of it. I got some more work to do. You, will you be faithful to the day of the small thing? To the thing that I'm doing in your life right here, right now, just that seems almost imperceptible. You want the grand, but my presence is here in the small. And it's interesting because Zerubbabel gets this in verse 6. This is what the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. See, I love this because God wants to help Zerubbabel to understand that the project that he's called him to do, to rebuild the temple, is way beyond his ability. That that temple building thing, that massive thing, is so big that it can only sit in God's hands. It cannot sit in Zerubbabel's hands. The dream that God has for Zerubbabel is so big on purpose so that Zerubbabel doesn't think that his might or his power can accomplish it. Some of you are frustrated in this room and you're using all of your strength, all of your power, all of your might to try to bring about the things of God that can only be brought about by his spirit. And he designs the big things in your life to be so big that your power and your might cannot get there. And we despise the small things because we think that the small things could never add up to the big thing. And God's saying, my math is a little different to yours. Because it's not your might nor your power, but it will be my spirit, says the Lord. Uh, notice this in verse, the uh, second half of verse 7. Then Zerubbabel will bring out the capstone, the cornerstone, to shouts of God bless it. God bless it. This is God saying, this is how my temple is going to be built. That massive big thing that you can't do in your power and your might. It's going to be built this way. Zerubbabel is going to bring out, before all of the disgruntled, all of the despising, all of the people that are disappointed with the progress that's being made, he's going to bring out the one piece, the cornerstone, the capstone, the first stone to be laid. And all of you disgruntled people, here's what I want you to do. I want you to shout, God bless it. God bless it. Why? Because in doing that, you're saying something prophetically. You're saying it's not by our power. It's not by our might. It's by the spirit that's going to build this temple. 
Like this cornerstone doesn't have the strength in itself to hold up the whole of the building. But if we pray that God will bless it, even the small stone will be the beginning of the big project. Oh, but we love the finished product, but we don't want to go through the unfinished process. And God says to Israel, take that very small thing that seems so feeble, so weak, and pray over it. God bless it. God bless it. And watch what God can do when he can take the small thing in your life, the thing that he's called you to be faithful with right now. Yeah, you want that promotion. Yes, you want that success. Of course, you want to get married. God understands all that. But he's put something in your hand right now that is the cornerstone. And he's saying, bless that. Like pray, speak life, bless the thing that I've put in your hands. And from there, not by your power, not by my, your might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Then see what's going to take place before you. This is why Zerubbabel is told this in verse 7, right at the start. This is God speaking. He goes, what are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a level ground. What, what are you? Oh, mountain, oh, obstacle. There, there are always going to be obstacles between our small start and the big finish. It's always going to be the big things that are there. And God stands before Israel and he speaks to the big obstacles. And he says, what are you, oh, mountain? You'll be nothing. You're going to become a level ground before Zerubbabel. Why? Because it's by my spirit. If it was up to might and power of my humans, the obstacles will overwhelm them every single time. This is jumping us back to Numbers 13 and 14, isn't it? Where the Israelites go into what God has promised, the big thing of the promised land, and they go in there and they're overwhelmed by the obstacle in front of it. And they're so overwhelmed that they turn their back on the big thing. And God's saying to, to Israel, if you live by my spirit, if you take the small things, the beginning thing, and you say, God bless this, just this little, this is my offering, this is all I've got, this is all I am right now, this thing here, would you bless it, would you bless it? Watch what he can do. Even the greatest obstacles can be rendered down, can be pulled flat before him. You cannot pull down the obstacles, but the Spirit of God working in your faithfulness on the day-to-day -day things that you're doing, can literally move mountains. Will you focus on the small? I wonder if this reminds you of anything else that we see in Scripture. Some 600 years later, Jesus is gathered with his disciples, and he's trying to teach them a little bit about the kingdom of God. And in this moment, he gathers them around him, and, and, and he draws from the imagery of Zechariah chapter 4. And he's trying to communicate to them the kind of faith that they need for the journey that's ahead of them. I want you to see this from, from Matthew 17, starting in verse 20. It says, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here and there, and it will move. For nothing will be impossible for you. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, this mountain will be changed, will be moved down. This is imagery from Zechariah 4. Jesus is taking it, speaking familiar imagery over his disciples. They knew the Old Testament well. And he's trying to tell them, all you need to do is have some full, small faith. Now, we misinterpret this verse all the time. Preachers mispreach this all the time. They stand in front of their churches and they go, you got to have more faith. Like, if only we have more faith, the mountains will move. Let's get more faith. And Jesus is saying the exact opposite. 
He's saying it doesn't matter the bigness, the size of your faith. What matters, even if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, what matters is God bless it. God bless it. Like if you give it to me, I will move the mountains. Nothing will be impossible for you. And this is God's invitation to his church to recognize that it's not about them, just the smallest faith that almost seems imperceptible to everybody else around you. That one person where you look at their life and you say, I don't think they're really a Christian. That one person that you judge across the aisle on Sundays. Oh, if they dress like that, they must be not really a Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christian. The ones who often do the greatest things in the New Testament are the ones that were least expected to do the great things. Because everybody was like the Pharisees, looking for the big and the perfect and the holy and the that. And Jesus comes along and says, you see that centurion? <laughs> see that woman who bled for 12 years and you all avoided her? You see this woman who's just anointed me and you think she's a prostitute? You see all of this? A faith as small as a mustard seed. It's the day of small things. I work to the big when the small step by step and it's a little bit of faithfulness. I then join that faithfulness and watch what is about to take place. And there's this great bit here. It says, if only then the mountain would become level ground. Zerubbabel, you will see it. It will become level ground before you. When, when I took on the vine in 2013, I was handed $25 million in debt. This church was $25 million Hong Kong dollars in debt. And I, and I, I, I knew that was coming to me. I knew, I knew that was part of the deal. Didn't like it. And I have to say, at the time, I was like, this is a little bit overwhelming. I was 37 years old. And I knew on the one side that this wasn't my debt, it was the Vine's debt. I knew that this was all of our responsibility, not just my responsibility. But you know, as a 37-year-old, new, fresh senior pastor, stepping into a role of two incredible men, John and Tony had done such a fantastic job of leading this church all these years. There was always, already so much pressure, and then it was $25 million. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't have John's gift of fundraising. Uh, I, I, I'm not like that. I don't, I don't have the ability to stand in front of people and ask them for money and all this kind of stuff. Like That's not really who I am. And I remember feeling so overwhelmed by the giant. And I wanted God just to remove it from me. I wanted like one person to write a $25 million check and then everything's done and gone, right? Ever prayed those prayers? God, I want the finished product now. I don't want the unfinished process. And I remember praying about this because it was weighing on me. I was stressed about it. It was overwhelming to me. And God said, Andrew, what have I put in your hands? And I was like, $25 million in debt. No, just kidding. No. Um, <laughs> I was like, well, um, I, I, I love to preach. I love to preach and teach. He's like, you stay faithful to what I put in your hands. I will provide and I'll remove the debt from you. Now, I'd like to say it happened by a $25 million check. I thought it was going to take maybe five years, maybe 10 years. We were able to wipe out the debt in a year and a half. Why? Because so many people in this room were incredibly generous and were willing to do the small thing that was in their hand. Here's, here's $100 regularly every week. Here's $1,000. Here's $10,000. We had some people write $1 million. We had a lot of people do a lot of faithful, generous things because they took the small thing that was in their hand and they're willing to say, God bless it, God bless it. And as a group together, we were able to see 25 million just descend like that. That's my heart for us as a church. What is my heart? 
that you would recognize that the small thing God has put in your hand, even though at times it might feel like the big thing is a long, long way off, that small thing, blessed by God, can be a blessing way beyond you would ever think or ever imagine. You are a small thing in God's hands. You're not that important. You're not that talented. You're not that amazing. There's always going to be more talented, better looking, perfect bodies. Um, It's always going to be that other person that you wish you were to be. You're always going to feel small in somebody's eyes and probably in your eyes. You are a small thing, but you're a small thing in the hand of a father who stands over you and says, God bless this one. God bless this one. Let's see what I might do through this, because it's not by their might nor by their power. And their resume is good, and their studies are good, and they've got some great skills, and that's all good, and good, God uses that stuff. But it's by my spirit that's really going to do this. So here's... here's um, thank you. Here's um, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me and said this, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this temple. His hands will also complete this. Could you imagine what it would have been like for Zerubbabel? He's standing in the rubble. And he's standing on all that rubble and everybody's despising that there's not more progress that's been made. And God says, Zerubbabel, you're going to bring out the cornerstone. You're going to say, God bless it, God bless it. And then in front of everybody, God says, your hands will lay the foundation of this temple. Your hands will see it completed. In other words, I'm a faithful God. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'm not just there at the start, but I will walk with you every small, every step you do all the way to the end. You're going to lay down the foundation stone. Then you're going to grab the next brick. And then you're going to grab the next brick. And there's a hundred other people that will grab bricks. And you're all going to build. And you will eventually stand back, Zerubbabel. And you will see the glory of the temple. But right now, do not despise the day of small things. Right now, recognize that I'm at work in this very moment. Your hands will start it. Your hands will complete it. I love the focus on the hands of Zerubbabel. Because God could have snapped his fingers and created the temple just like that. He had the might and the power to do so. But God doesn't do that because he knows that in his hands he could. But he also knows that in Zerubbabel's hands he can't. So he doesn't ask him to do the great big thing. He just says, do the first thing, the cornerstone, the capstone, and bless it. And then take the next stone and do that. And in your faithfulness, you will see something significant take place. I think Hong Kong is crying out now for churches. They're just willing to do the next thing, the small thing, the thing that they have been called to do in their workplaces, in their schools, in their families, to begin to really begin to see the work of the temple of God. Some of you in this room, You're disappointed in yourself because you don't see the temple there. When God looks at you and he says, oh, there's this unfinished temple that I'm creating and I'm so excited about it. There's so much more to come. Some of you here, you don't realize this, but you're a dream in God's heart. And and he wants you to basically say, I'm not the finished product, but I have a cornerstone in me. I have the little small thing right now. And I'm trusting the faithfulness to the small thing. I'm leaving the big thing up to him. But I'm going to trust him with the small thing in my hands. What is the small thing that is in your hand right now? The one thing that God has given you, where if you think about all that needs to be accomplished and done, it'll overwhelm you. But that small little thing that he's just placed in your hand, what is that right now for you? As I close, let me tell you what it is for me. I'm writing a book. And if my wife was here, she would roll her eyes. 
because I've said that phrase for the last decade of my life, and I have not written a book yet. I have four lines, the opening four lines of my book. That is literally what I have on my computer right now. If you were here last Sunday, you would have seen me do the parable of the prodigal son in first-person narrative, remember? So my book, what I'm writing is, I'm writing the first three chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, so creation and full, and I'm writing it from the first-person perspective of Adam and Eve. Cool, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a bestseller. And I have four lines. I mean, they're really good lines, but I have four lines. It's like a cornerstone. Would you, would you like to hear them? Okay, I'm going to read you my four lines. Here they are. This is the opening of my book. I was born of dirt and breath and hope. Hope conceived me, its tender finger impregnating the barren soil as it carefully shaped the potential of man. Breath birthed me, a wisp of sound and syllables rushing forth the glory of life. And dirt betrayed me, the very substance that brought me to life becoming the very substance that would lead me to death. <gasps> Four sentences. I need, it's not ready yet, no. <laughs> I'm gonna need 60,000, 100,000, and it feels like a long way away, and I'm pretty happy with my first four sentences, but there's a lot more sentences that need to come. And I stand over this today in front of you, and I say, God bless it, God bless it. Because that's all I've got. And maybe there's something in your hands right now a dream, a hope, a vision, an idea new thing to do at work, a new thing you want for your family, maybe that marriage we're talking about, maybe you are working out and wanting a better body, whatever it is, there's something in front of you and you've just got what you've got right now and it disappoints you. Take it in your hands today and say, God bless it, God bless it. Do not, church, despise the day of small things. Could you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we stand together as a church right now, recognizing that we're people just like the Israelites, who are obsessed with the big and the grand, that we want the finished product, and we're not so crazy about the unfinished process. And Father, as we stand before you in this moment, online and in this room, Father, we do so now with open hearts, open minds, and with open hands. Lord, you've been speaking a lot in this scripture about hands today. And I wonder whether you would just join me, if you're willing, just to open your hands before you. And in your hands, I want you to picture what that thing is that you've resonated with today. Maybe for some of you, it's a long-held dream that hasn't yet come to fruition. Maybe it's a word or a promise of God that he's spoken over you at some point in your life that is yet to be fulfilled. Maybe it's a project that you're working on that seems a long way off, like my book. Maybe it's whatever it is, but there's something in your hands today. And that small thing, it's very easy for you to despise. It's very easy for you to be frustrated. It's very easy for you to feel like it's not worth much. It's not valuable like the Israelites when they looked at those rubble stones were like, so surprised that not more progress has been made. And yet you're holding this thing because the Lord has put it in your hands. And God would say first of all over you, 
your hands will begin it, your hands will complete it. I'd be with you every step of the way. For I'm God, your Savior, because it's not going to be by your power. It's not going to be by your might. It's going to be by my Spirit. And that thing you're holding in your hands, feel the Spirit, the presence of God leaning over you right now and saying these words, God bless it. God bless it. And as your senior pastor, I stand over you now as you're in this room with your eyes closed or whether you're online as well. And you've got your hands and you're holding forward something. Allow me and the authority that's given to me here at this church to speak over you now. God bless it. God bless it. God bless it. God bless it. Take the small things, Lord. The things that we've almost given up on, the things that we were going to throw away, the things that we felt like weren't worthy. Lord, we take the cornerstones, the rubble, Lord, that's going to place the foundations of the temple. And Lord, we pray a blessing over it in the name of Jesus right now. And Father, I want to pray that you would leave or send out a bunch of people from this room today who are, who are going with a stronger step, with more hope in their hearts because of the day of small things. That they would take what the Scriptures say and ask you to come and bless these small things. That Lord, you would rise up hope and that we would see, like with those $25 million, that, that the big mountain would be chipped away at and removed just by the small mustard seed of those faithful day in, day out, disciplines, conviction, prayers, hope, holding on in steadfastness for all the things that God can do. Lord, take the small thing that is in our hands. Would you bless it? And would it be your spirit that brings it to the fullness of fruit?